Good evening and welcome everyone once again. I come before you all with a very interesting episode of Lead Podcast and the last one before we break for our summer vacation. So my name is Anuj and I'm your host from JC Ireland representing the JCI Europe Business Committee on behalf of Project Lead. So as you all know by now it's our vision at the JCI Europe Business Committee to become a medium where all the aspiring entrepreneurs can connect not only with their fellow entrepreneurs but also with industry experts and leaders so that you can learn from their experiences and try to implement the skills that you learned into your own businesses or startups. This also means that you can grow your network and connect with such influential people which is a huge bonus. So you're always welcome to reach out to us with any of your business or entrepreneurship related questions on our social media channels and we will do our best to assist you with it. Our end goal is to stimulate business and entrepreneurship activities within the continent. So without any further ado, let me introduce our guest for the evening who is both a project manager and an entrepreneur which sometimes confuses me as well. Pat Lucy Pat is co-founder and CEO of Aspira, an international consultancy focused on delivering technology and project management services. He's acknowledged internationally as a thought leader in project management, being in demand as a keynote speaker at project management conferences all over the world. In addition to this Aspira role, Pat also serves as director and past president of the Ireland chapter of the Project Management Institute, where he has held a leadership role for the past 10 years. He also holds both project management professional and agile certified professional certifications from Project Management Institute. Pat was also selected as a finalist in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year competition in the international category in 2020. So, welcome Pat. How are you doing today? Very good, thanks Anuj. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Delighted to to speak with you. Thanks Pat. So, we'll get straight we'll we'll get straight into the questions now. please clear one of the biggest confusions i have now how can a person be both an entrepreneur and a project manager at the same time like an entrepreneur always looks to take risks in order to make more profits or to scale up while a project manager just tries to minimize the risk to keep the project on a track exactly so i think instead of having psychological safety i have continual psychological stress because of that very conflict that that you mentioned so i guess as an entrepreneur it's all about seeing opportunity and taking risks you know and doing everything you can to maximize that but i guess my training and my experience as a project manager is you identify risks so you can avoid them mitigate them eliminate them um uh, not that you go and and grasp them so on any one day i find that uh, those two sides of me are in conflict and i can't say i've reached a nice balance between them either right. i feel i'm taking too much risk and i'm uncomfortable or I might feel that I'm not being risky enough and I'm I need to go out there and take on more if we're going to realize our potential. So I guess as long as I have enough flip-flopping between both states, I guess that's a type of balance, but um, on any one day I can never never just hit the right balance between the two. The right balance. Is do you have like a team to support you in your decisions then? if you're thinking either way <laughs> yeah so aspira is primarily a technology project management company so we yeah. would have a lot of project managers a lot of project managers and people with the project management background so mm-hmm. i guess there's a lot of people who will flag to me why we shouldn't do something if they see the risk there um yes. and there's probably not as many who say yeah go for it you know people who have the the more entrepreneurial gene so sometimes our commercial team our sales team and people yeah. involved in and running that they'll be the ones to say let's do it we figure let's out it, yeah. let's let's just take it on and we we figure out how to overcome the problems 
Whereas mm. our project managers would say, well, first let's list all those problems and then figure out if we can solve them before we commit to anything. And I actually think it's a good it's a good mix because mm. in my in both roles, there's a field of project management now that's quite popular called entrepreneurial project management. And because of the fact I have a foot in both the entrepreneur world and the yeah. project management, it gives me yeah. a chance to, I guess, have, have a bit of insight into both. And really th the two big things there are, are number one, a focus on outcomes rather mm -hmm. than processes. You focus on you know, what you've achieved, what you can get done. You don't really care right. if you have the world's best project management processes and systems. You just care about mm -hmm. have you know, have you got the ball in the net? Have you achieved the the goal? And the second one is the risk that you don't just see risk as a bad thing. You see, yeah. if you want a big reward, you have to be taking you know a sizable risk Bigger. to achieve that reward. So, what is the backstory of Aspira? Like as you said, we know it's a technology and project management services company. But how did it come about to be? When did it start? Sure. So I guess I'll start with my career journey. So I grew up in a place yeah. called Patrick's Well in County Limerick in Ireland, which mm -hmm. I grew up with entrepreneurs around the kitchen table because my parents in their younger days had had to emigrate to England to get a job. Then they came back to Ireland where they set up a business, food store, petrol station and restaurant. Mm. So I grew up in that self-employed family business background. So I knew I didn't have any illusions Fair about enough. what it was like to to work for yourself. I knew it's, you know, 24, 7, 365. But did electronics mm -hmm. in college, electronic engineering, did a master's in electronics, telecoms, got a job in Ireland, uh, worked with the American multinational for 17 years. And as part of that, I headed up the, the project management division. And, you know, I got a lot of experience mm. there. It was a great, great education. But then that company decided to pull out of Ireland back in 2007. So when I was clearing out my desk, I came across my, uh, my old CV that I had submitted back in 1990. And in my CV, That's I had said, time, you know, I know, don't remind me, Anoush, don't remind me, please. I'm trying to pretend I'm young. <laughs> but I, it, it said someday I'd like to actually set up my own business. And I had forgotten that, you know, in, in the 17 years, I was just much more focused on the day-to-day -day getting projects delivered. So um, that right. got me thinking again, God, you know, now it's now or never. So chatted to a few of my colleagues and one of those colleagues, Colm Horgan, was of similar mm -hmm. mindset. So we both decided it's now or never. Let's let's set up Aspira. So set we up, set it up yeah. May 2007. We hired four of our mm -hmm. colleagues from the multinational. So there were six of us on day one and we it went very well. We grew to, I think it was 10 or 12 people by the end of that year. And we grew nice. um, yeah. to about 16 people the following year. Then the international recession hit. So that was yes. tough. So we dropped a couple of people again. We went down to maybe 12 people. But thankfully, from that point on, every year we've grown an average of uh, about 25% every year. So it's been an exciting journey. And three years ago, we, we set up a new business for Aspira in the Netherlands and in That's the UAE. Yes. So both those things were like starting all over again, you know, so it kept the excited, kept the entrepreneurial spirit flowing to, spirit to get involved. On, yeah. and builds a presence in a new market. Yes, that's true. And uh, right now, as you said, like you set up in 2007, I was just thinking that, you know, you set up just before recession. So it would have been a very difficult road, like, you know, uh, international kind of recession just before you, just after you set up your company, like maybe six months after you set up your company. It's funny because I hadn't put much thought into it recently, but when the COVID-19 hit and there was so much uncertainty, yes. it was one of the things that I just reminded our, our team about because we set up and we faced the toughest recession that this country has ever seen. Um, yeah. But we had a lot of advantages because we were a small company. We were very agile and 
Yes. It's not as if we, we weren't paying for company jets or, or uh, you know, big expensive locations. <laughs> yeah. So we were very That's nimble and, and we were able to win new business, which we did. Like we, we won business from much bigger companies, much bigger competitors in that time. Hmm. And we felt we could use the same approach uh, for the last 15, 18 months and thankfully managed to, to do that as well, you know, to keep growing the business. So last year was our best year ever, and That's we're hoping good. we can yeah. top it again this year. That's fair enough. So just going down a little bit of technical route now, so what can be considered as a risk to a startup? Does it vary based on multiple factors, or are there some risks that are common across all sectors and industries? So there are some risks that are, you know, applied to everybody, but there yes. are there are a few very specific risks that apply to startups. Mm -hmm. so, so I'll focus on those if you don't mind, just to, yeah, to highlight those. So, so the first is the idea that your baby is beautiful and you do not have an ugly baby. Okay. That's because true. believe it or not, some people have ugly babies, but all your friends and colleagues are too polite to tell you your baby is ugly. And the That's exact true. same thing happens with, with startups. You know, mm. if you start up a new business tomorrow, Anuj, and you have yep. you think this is a great idea, if, every, mm -hmm. if all of your friends think this is a crazy idea and is doomed to failure, they will usually be too polite to tell you, right? They will just say, oh, mm. well done, that's a good idea. Let me know how you get on. Right, well, right, they then right. expect you to fail. So I think it's much more useful if your friends say, that's crazy. This is why it's going mm. to fail and give you that information because I think startups can be very blinkered. You know, th true. they cannot see all the risks that are out there. They can be convinced my idea is so great. I'll be a multi-billionaire mm -hmm. by next week and not actually think about it. And the reason I encourage startups to, to actually do a proper risk evaluation is if there really are risks out there, well, it's much better that you know and you can plan and you know work accordingly yeah exactly yeah you can, might find a way around it or maybe pivot or tweak or whatever so like what aspira does now isn't what we set out to do we've had to pivot a few times along the way and mm -hmm. i find a bit of humility and realizing that you may need to change is a big important factor for startups and it's a tough one because you're told you have to be resilient and you can't you know when people will tell you you'll fail you just have to ignore them and keep going mm. oh, that's okay as long as you're not putting your you have a lot your, of money you have a lot of money yeah, your, your family pocket. house doesn't doesn't go so so you have yeah. to try to be positive and resilient while also trying to be pragmatic and sensible again it's a, it's a difficult yeah. balance to follow but that that's the i would say for startups trying to be open to risk don't see everybody who flags something that might go wrong as a, a bad person who's telling you like they're trying to give you the benefit of their experience. So it's worth listening. And a piece of advice that I, I give people is listen to all the advice you get and mm -hmm. then ignore half of it, including That's my advice. You, you have to decide which half you keep and which half you ignore. Because everybody you ask will tell you something different based on their experience, what's worked for them. Um, yeah. yeah, so just because it worked for them may not work for you. So you have to listen to that and respect it, but then make your own decision as to, to what you mm -hmm. think work for you see you see that's the that's the trick part you know you don't know which to which advice to ignore and then which to keep in mind <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's the where skill, the skill comes in yeah yeah and then just uh on this technical part again like so how can one identify and minimize those risks so if i'm starting if i'm starting off a new business or a venture how do i identify risks for my business is there kind of a checklist or yeah, so this is where I'll, I'll quickly get into boring project management speak. So I better I better try not to and step back. So, so there's a couple of yeah. different ways of doing it. One is to just take a look at what you're trying to achieve. So mm. if you have a new business idea, right? if you're going to invent a new gadget, think about all the different activities involved in 
coming up with this gadget, you know, what the marketing is going to be, the production is going to be, the selling, and what could go wrong in each one of those areas. So if you first yeah. of all try to think of the full breadth involved, and then think, mm -hmm. think well, what might happen here that could cause a problem. And thankfully, most of those things won't happen. But when you mm -hmm. walk through that exercise, you will think of a few things that you go, oh, I never thought of that. I better, I better take an action here and, and deal with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one which is just methodically walking through your the, the work breakdown structure mm -hmm. is the project management term. All the different elements that make up your business. Think right. what could go wrong. And the second general approach is to go and talk to people, talk to people mm, who have knowledge or expertise who may have tried to do something similar themselves. And what I found, mm -hmm. and I'm really, really grateful for, is I found other entrepreneurs who had set up businesses were very helpful, more than willing to, to share their experiences in a very yes. true and, and open way with, with people. And it, there's a really great camaraderie and support between other entrepreneurs. So like every now and then I get asked by people who are starting up businesses, you know, mm -hmm. can I chat to them for a little while? And if I pretty much always say yes, I always try to help if I can. I'm sure yes. I might upset them more than help them in some cases, but <laughs> I certainly give them any small amount of knowledge I might have. And I found when we were considering setting up Aspira, it was a bunch yeah. of people who who gave us the benefit of their experience. And it's really it's really useful to hear the real story of what happened. That's really good because um, what I've from a lot of my friends who are trying to set up businesses is that they're hesitant to go and ask out for help. Like they're hesitant to speak out their ideas because they fear that, oh, somebody might just steal it. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but it's it's yeah. kind of, they just, just they just don't ask for help. Is it true or? Yeah, so, so I, see, I see that. I remember back when when um, I was in the multinational, there were 11 different businesses that, sorry, people who started off a business that came out of that. And we all did training together. Uh, Enterprise Ireland came and organized a, a business startup training course for the various people who wanted to start a business. And I remember right. one or two of the guys, they didn't even want to tell people what their business idea was in case somebody would steal it. But yeah. uh, in most cases, if you're ever going to make a success of your business, you'll have to describe it to somebody, you know. So, so That's I would be true. surprised if the thing you want to do is so secret you can't tell anybody. You know, that that would be weird. Also, you've things like NDAs. So usually, you would ask for a non-disclosure agreement. So if if you really do have some secret sauce. I've no problem yes. signing an NDA to say that I won't take it. Yeah, and usually yeah. the longer you're involved, the less precious you are about your brilliant idea, because in most cases, it's not the idea, it's your ability to implement the idea that makes that's, the difference. That's um, very true. It's been my yeah, experience. No, <laughs> so now as, as we have seen that, you know, since early 2020, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and it's been an absolute challenging time for everyone, for individuals, businesses, and multinationals. So how has this redefined risk? Because I'm pretty sure that nobody predicted it. So first of all, so how has this redefined risk and forced the companies to change their strategies? So it's, I, I wouldn't say it has redefined risk, but it's caused a shift in the, the horizon of risk, right? So some yeah. risks that didn't matter too much before are now front and center. So for example, luckily people in the technology industry have generally been able to work remotely without it having That's too true. much of an impact. So compared to our colleagues and, and family members working in retail or in hospitality, you know, they've had a much, much more difficult time. time and been hit a lot more and, you know, really feel for people in those sectors. We're hoping yes. that they'll get back into to normality again soon. But in our case, once the initial fears 
that the world economy would collapse, you know, when, once those mm. fears subsided, then the problem came about, well, how do we get people working together? You know, how do you get camaraderie? How do you get proper teams bonding? Because initially, it's one thing when you're a part of a, you know, 20 person team, and now you must all work remotely or work from home, and you get your project finished. But how do you kick off a brand new project with a team of people who may never have met each other? You know, so that's when, again, luckily, telecommunications and broadband is at the point where we're able to use this video technology to collaborate much more effectively than even five, 10 years ago. You know, so if we were in this situation five or 10 years ago, a lot more of our roles could not have been done remotely. So we're very lucky we can make that happen. But I think we're facing another wave of, of challenge now. As we move to the point where people start to come back into the office, you're going to see people are reluctant mm. or scared or nervous about making that move back again. So I know for Aspira, yeah. our plan is that we will no longer uh, require people to come into the office five days a week. Instead, oh, we'll really? have a blended yes. approach. Yeah, we're going to yes. have a blended I approach where people will come in, you know, they might come in two or three days, work remotely two or three days. And I think the mm. difference is going to be if you need to spend a day working quietly on your own, well, then do mm. it from home. If you oh, need to true. go and collaborate and meet and interact and engage with your your colleagues or clients, well, then go to the office. You know, that that's yeah, I that's see that true. being the model that people will go in in our business. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies, as you said, like a lot of companies actually are going to implement this approach, this hybrid approach maybe two days, two days on office or two days from home and the remaining days, you know, vice versa. So I think it's it, it, it's, it will help both companies as well as the people. And I think it will help the environment, that. you know, it'll, it'll be less, true, yeah. less pollution, less time spent commuting. I think there's a bunch of benefits to it. So hope, hopefully yes. we'll get to realize those and achieve them. And then from this pandemic, like the situation that we have now, it's still existing. How has this situation reinforced the need for a good project manager to be present in a company? So we are different as because it's a project management company, but any other business, say any other industry, how has this reinforced the need for a project manager? So I, I suppose um, regardless of whether you're in the project management business or not, the need for good communication has become so much more important now because the risk of people working remotely is isolation. And if everybody is isolated, they're not communicating, they're not getting the same message, they're not on the same page. So um, it's the same with the project team. You have to ensure that that people are getting the same message and that they have a shared goal, shared objective. So the big challenge for all people, whether they're in projects or not, is how do you keep those communication channels flowing? And you know, before, previously I might've spent a couple of hours stuck in traffic somewhere or stuck at an airport, wherever. Now I seem to spend all day stuck on Teams calls back to back from as soon as That's one true. call ends, the next call is up. So you still have to take time to to build in some some space into your calendar so that if mm. people do need to, to grab you for a quick call, you are available and they're able to spend some time chatting. Right, really good actually. Uh, and you're right actually, because project managers, uh, they always need to be present no matter what the situation is. Need you need somebody to handle all the projects and realize the vision of the company. Exactly. And then we touched upon this earlier on, Pat. Like uh, you started just before the recession in two thousand eight, and it's running back again to the same question. Entrepreneurship can be a very tough road, and in these difficult moments, how do you stay focused on moving forward and making progress? Yeah. So I remember 
when the multinational I worked in was closing down and mm. some some former colleagues who had gone off to set up businesses came in and talked to us about what it was like. I remember one of them in particular saying, there's loads of great things about being an entrepreneur. You're your own boss. You get to work in different areas. It's exciting, but there's also tough times. And he said, I remember being in my kitchen, my wife coming downstairs and finding me crying in my kitchen at 3 a.m. because I didn't know how I was going to pay my staff. And for me, that's kind of the real side of it as well. So. Um, they're the things that can be tough. Like when you're faced with things like the pandemic, our immediate concern was number one, for the health of our staff and our customers. We actually made the decision to to stop working from the office before it became a government thing. We just said, look, this okay. is, we don't know what's going on. Everybody does work from home. We knew we had the technology, all our systems are cloud enabled. So we did that before it was a legal requirement. It was a legal requirement, I think within a week, right? It all happened so quickly. <laughs> Uh, and still yes. now we're, we're that's our number one priority just to try to keep people safe and and we, we put that above profit or anything else so at the next phase we decided to stop selling as in our sales team said the last thing somebody wants okay. is to, to get a call trying to sell something when when we're that's in true. a situation so instead what can we do to help people and we put on a series of uh, webinars different mm-hmm. webinars showing people how to use teams how to get project starters, even if you, you know, are, are all working remotely, how to use different technology to help, just to try to help people, basically. Yes. We put yeah. together an online uh, training course for people to learn, you know, regulatory requirements for people going back to the office, you know, to understand what's involved in washing your hands properly and, you know, keeping all the social distancing precautions, all of that. So we try to find ways we could help. Uh, and then maybe three months in, we reverted back to okay you know now that people had got a certain degree of i won't say comfort but i guess acceptance of the new situation let's let's try to go back to to try to growing the business again uh, and i think people appreciated that because the last thing anybody wanted was get a phone yeah. call trying to sell you something when you're worried about your your health and your your well-being you know and i think quite yes, a few companies true. did that to be a very lucrative career I was trained to become a project manager. Is it a must to get a PMP qualification to be a project manager? Okay, great. Thank you, Carl, for that that question. It seems to be a lucrative career. I'm not sure who who told you that. So Anuj, you must be telling people that, are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like it to be honest. So <laughs> I know it's it's, it's so, difficult as well, but I, I enjoy the challenges to be honest. It can be. I think that the two nicest things about project management or a career are number one, the variety. So it's a bridge between different industries. Yeah. Like if, if you're a good project manager in energy, you can also be a good project manager in pharma or a good project manager in construction or a good project manager in IT. So if you like that variety and you like working in different areas, project management is a great career to, to get into. So, so that's you know one of the reasons that, uh, that it's, it's good. It's a bridge between different disciplines. And then secondly, it's the variety. You know, you'll never get, two days the same. It requires the ability to multitask, so uh, which I'm not always great at, but um, you know, there's lots of plates spinning in the air, so you need to be able to, to handle that. And it's very enjoyable and exciting. As to how to get into it, personally, I think the best way to get into it is first to be good at doing your day job. So if you're an accountant, be a good accountant. If you're an engineer, be a good engineer. If you're a chef, be a good chef. And then once you're happy, you've mastered the craft of your industry, 
then look for opportunities to manage projects in that area. So if you're an engineer, but you don't really understand engineering or you haven't any experience in engineering projects, you don't really want to jump to become the project manager or responsible for lots of other engineers. So I'd always say take the yeah. time to develop mastery of your own craft first and then become look for opportunities to to be responsible for, for something bigger then and to manage that project. And the question said, do you need to get the PMP? It's a bit like driving. I know some people who have passed their driving, their theory tests in driving, that does not mean they're a good driver. It just means they know how to answer the questions. So with the certification sure. exams, it can be a little like that. You might have got your PMP because you were good at answering the questions. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good driver. But if I'm looking for a driver, I will only consider someone with their license. If I'm looking for a project manager, I will only consider someone who has some form of qualification, whether that's PMP or PRINCE2 or, or an agile qualification or whatever. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm really passionate about the value of people studying project management because it doesn't matter what your job title is. You may never be a project manager. You will learn some tools and techniques and tips that will definitely make your life easier because I spent um, probably in industry 10 years before I, I did project management training. And on the first day of project management training, so oh, why did nobody tell me this stuff before? You know, this is really useful. Lots of the disastrous mistakes I made in the past, I wouldn't have made if I had known yeah. this. Yeah, and I still make some, don't get me wrong. But you don't make as many, right? And life is easier when you use these tools. So I guess back to the entrepreneur thing, I think I've been encouraging in entrepreneur, you know, Enterprise Ireland and groups like that to actually promote project management a little bit more because some of the skills mm. you learn there will stop you making mistakes. You know, they'll make life a bit easier for you. Anuj, I know you're big into scheduling. So the 80-20 rule is yes. very applicable in life. Whereas if you have 100 things to do, well, if you just prioritize and do 20 of them, that will achieve 80% of the results. results. So you can just go to sleep or have a picnic for the other, the rest of the time, okay? You've, you don't have to work as hard, but you've That's got true. most of the results, but with uh, a lot less of the effort going in. So little things like that really uh, help you prioritize your daily activities. Oh, that's really good. We actually have one more question, but we'll we'll get that just after one question that I need to ask you. So okay. what, what advice would you have for students about using their time, their network and the opportunities at their you know, college or university to prepare for this kind of a career or any career in general? Okay, so, so I think students have some fantastic advantages that they don't always realize they have. So number one yes. is they have, in most cases, they don't have extra responsibilities. So hopefully That's they true. don't have a mortgage or they don't have multiple dependents relying on them. So, so in a way, they're free to try out things, to experiment, to follow their dream, and I would encourage them to do it. You'll have plenty of years ahead of you when tie down with uh, mortgages and bills and you don't have that freedom. So, so yeah. take advantage of that. And the second one is your network. Use your time in college to, to build your network. I know still to this day, well, I guess not for the last year, but for the year before that, I traveled all over the world. And as part of that, met up with people that I went to school with, went to college with. They're the, mm -hmm. They say new friends are like silver, but old friends are like gold, right? So they're the gold. people who will give you a shoulder to cry on or um, give you a pat on the back or a bed to sleep in or, or whatever that you need. Whatever. So right. definitely build up that network and use it. And with LinkedIn, 
it's so much easier now to, much easier to, now, to maintain yeah. a network than it used to be. So definitely do that. And of course, don't forget to do a bit of study as well, right? So right. none of it counts if you don't pass your exam. So learn, build your network, and you'll go far. And just when you mentioned about LinkedIn over there now, I was just wondering, it just clicked in my mind. How did you guys network back in your times? Like, so now we have LinkedIn now, but how did you guys network? Attending events? Back when I was young and we didn't have electricity, is it? Back then, <laughs> not, you know, not, not that young, not that hundred years ago. <laughs> when you were in college, when you were in college, um, we the only networking we did, we didn't, well, we didn't use the word, but uh, from in person, going to hmm. events, you know. So okay. you would go to an event. I remember the companies that would go on the milk ground. Certain companies were known that they would provide free wine or beer for the night. Really? So those companies always got the full attendance from all the class. <laughs> Uh, other That's companies true. didn't, so nobody went. So our priorities were maybe a Set. little bit askew back then. Yeah, but yeah, there was no, like when I tell my kids now that we navigated with paper maps and, you know, we tried to connect each other with no mobile phones or walkie talkies. In fact, true. when I was working with the multinational, it was with the mobile phone company. And I remember, mm. so I was one of the first people going around with a mobile phone. Mobile phone, yes. And I remember... Uh, being asked, I was at a big sporting event, the Monster Final, mm -hmm. with my mobile mm -hmm. phone, and people thought I was listening to the radio. They're asking me what was who won the tennis in Wimbledon, yeah, because nobody had mobile phones those days. At so that time, yeah, it does seem prehistoric now that I say it. That's <laughs> fair enough. So uh, I'll get to, to the question from uh, one of our viewers. So Nipur Nashi says that who or what is a PMO? I've heard quite a bit about it while applying for project management jobs. Sure. Thank you, Napurna. So a PMO stands for Project Management Office. So it is an organizational entity. So it's a group, basically, a team within an organization. So usually if, if a company organization has lots of projects, they will often have this group called a PMO. And it's a bit, if you think of project management as being a mixture of science and art, the project managers are the ones out there doing the art. They're the ones influencing people, getting stakeholders to, to reach a decision. They're out there shaking hands, kissing babies, whatever it takes to get their, their project done. Whereas the PMO team are the science. They're the people who are often in the background in the engine room. They're building schedules. They're building risk registers. They're capturing all the data and processing that data, analyzing that data, providing predictions that are then used to help run the project and make decisions. So they're the ones doing lots of the number crunching and processing, the engine that really drives success of any project-driven organization. So it's if you're interested in data and interested in, in using those tools, getting a role within a PMO is a great way to learn about project management. And some of the best project managers I've seen spent their first few years working in a PMO office and then became learned how to shake hands and kiss babies and, and got into the art side of it as well. So it's a very, very structured and, and powerful organization. Thank you, Pat. And one final question, Pat, just if you were to summarize project manager, so how would you define the role of a project manager in a company? Oh, um, so I, I think the project manager is probably like the conductor of an orchestra. They, they, they may not need to be able to play all the instruments or even any of the instruments, but they're the ones who are dictating the pace. They're the ones who has to make sure that everybody knows what they have to do. They're the one who makes sure that when 
one person knows what time they have to get their work done by and when it needs to be completed and keeps the whole thing in sync. So without the project manager, there would be potentially chaos and just general, you know, discordant noise. But um, if yeah. the project manager can do their job properly, they'll orchestrate success for the organization. Um, it'll be music to our ears. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Pat. So I think that's it. We'll wait for a few more questions from the audience if they have any. In the meantime, I would just like to say that I was browsing through the website of Aspira. And if anyone is interested in learning more about project management, you can visit the blog section, right, uh, Pat? So I'll just I'll just put in a link uh, in the comments so that everybody can visit the blog section. It's really helpful and it will cover up all the uh, all the aspects of project management and otherwise. So right, but just we are closing, we are nearing to close our session, right? And I would just like to ask you five rapid fire questions just to finish okay. up. <laughs> so your choice of your vacation destination would be a sunny beach or a snow clad mountain. Oh my God, sunny beach, definitely. I, I'm someone who has I'm someone who has a knee injury from playing sport. So my days of skiing down mountains are definitely over. So lying on a beach listening to a good podcast now would be uh, much more my style, I'm afraid. Definitely. And I'm sure you have pets, uh, Pat. So you do you prefer cats or dogs? One hundred percent dogs. One hundred percent. I'm a dog person. Is my dog no my dog isn't here at the moment. So I have two kids and a dog, and the dog right. is my favorite member of the family. <laughs> Perfect. And your favorite time of the day? So you're a morning person or an evening person, Pat? I'm kind of weird because I am both a morning and an evening person, Monday right. to Friday. But I'm definitely not a morning person on Saturday or Sunday. So right. during the week, I like to be up early and get stuff done. And I tend to also work probably later than I should. Um, yes. But on weekends, I like to just Relax. do as little work as possible in the morning, and I'll see what's waiting for me then in the evening. Is, am I allowed to say that? That I can? Can I be both for some of the week? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and tea or coffee? Pat, what would you prefer? Coffee, and a milky coffee. I feel cheated. What's the point of going to a you know a coffee house and then just getting a black coffee? So I get whatever the frothiest milkiest coffee I can get, then that makes me feel like I've, I've paid for something worthwhile. I'm happy. I'm happy you didn't say tea because my next question would have been berries or lions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm from Limerick, which is, and I live in Cork, so berries, tea, it has to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's all people in Dublin who drink lions. And the last one, uh, Pat, I hope you like pizza. So would you eat the crust or would you leave the crust? <laughs> so again, I'm given a bad answer here. So I, I start Depends. by eating the crust. No, I start yeah. by eating the crust, but then when it starts getting near the end, I save some of the crust to give my dog. Because she's <laughs> she's she's faithfully waiting beside me, knowing I'll give her something, like a piece of pepperoni or a piece of crust. So I have to share some of my, my food with her every time. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Pat. Uh, that was really interesting. I, I, I myself took away a lot from it. And yeah, that's that's it, I think. So once again, thank you everyone for joining us in this very special podcast from across Europe. And I, I hope you have learned a lot from this. So as I said in the beginning, a new series of podcasts and amazing lineup of guests just like we have throughout the year. Thank you, Pat. Thanks a lot. Everyone. Thanks very much, Anise. Best of luck to all your, your participants. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.